Yo, dude, so just getting into the episode, but first point I'll call you up on, uh, the Pathfinder 2 book, it's not the player's handbook. It is just the rule book. It's all in one. It's still forever long, don't get me wrong. I didn't read the whole thing, and I ran it for well over a year, almost two years. So I'm not trying to say it isn't long. It is super long. But to be fair, it is not the player's handbook. It's got all the rules for the dungeon master. It's got all the monsters or a bunch of the monsters. Um, Yeah. Anyway, I'm out walking around. (laughs) Get back into the episode. Also, I I, I don't think the D&D 5 ebook is a thousand pages long. It might be, but I, I, I kind of don't think so. <laughs> Fuck, how do I turn it off? Well, pops up a beer or a cold libation. I can tell you how I wrote this little thing. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him, what you got? He said, I'll start up with some talking and some moody clips of popcorn fighting, fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation, kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxings, full month horror movie marathon, sometimes I'll let the box come on, contests and of course you know it's all about games, I said, slow down, let's just start with the name, it's the Nerds RPG Variety Jason. Welcome back, Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. There at the top of the episode, we heard Joe from Hindsightless and Wheeler Woe Podcasts. He was referring to my last podcast or made a comment about Pathfinder 2. And hey, if I'm wrong, definitely call me out on it. For some reason, I had in my mind that that was the player's handbook. Maybe that was the original plan or was originally announced as a player's handbook and it turned out to be the full rules. I don't know. I haven't read it. But I do appreciate that correction there, Joe. As far as 5e, well, I did a little bit of research, and I don't own the 5e books, but I went on Amazon and looked at the page counts for the Player's Handbook, which is 320 pages, the Dungeon Master's Guide, which is 320 pages, and the Monster Manual, which is 352 pages. So the three core books for D&D 5th edition are 992 pages. So you're right, it's not a thousand pages, it's eight pages short of that. So, good calls, no problem being corrected if I'm wrong, so thank you for doing that. But, we don't want to dwell on it too long, because we have a big show ahead of us, and I want to get into that right now. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke by your spouse, but the operator's scream is coming from inside the house. Jason, this is Randy from Biggest Geekest. Dude, I had to call in. Just started listening to your most recent podcast, and you mentioned Dog Soldiers. That movie is awesome. I always thought of it a little bit like... Aliens, you know, the second alien movie with the Marines against the aliens, the, the British soldiers against the dog, the werewolves. I thought it was super cool, even though it's kind of a B, B plus movie, but it just was, I don't know, something that was really slick. But yeah, A plus, A plus for dog soldiers. Yeah. 
Jason. See, that's the thing. Like, humans and these other species are so different, yet you were sort of assuming that they wouldn't, these other species wouldn't have drive, that they would just sit around. Like, that's what I'm talking about. There's no reason that an elf, as alien as they are, wouldn't be like, cool, I'm just going to... I'm going to become a wizard. Like, they're so much longer lived, it, it just doesn't make, doesn't make sense to say, <clears throat> like, there's no reason an elf couldn't fit in with that description of the competent man, which is just kind of ridiculous because there isn't anyone like that for real. But we're not talking about for real. We're talking about fantasy. In the clip that you use, which, thank you, that was awesome, by the way. I wish I had any sort of tech savvy to do that kind of stuff. But that just kind of, I was talking about the sort of an obvious humo-centric human supremacy point of view we all come from because we are all humans and that's all we know. So there's this idea that humans would be the best and most versatile. But what I was saying is there's no evidence to back that up. Uh, Especially in these fantasy worlds where all the humans are pretty much doing the exact same thing. Um, And these longer-lived species would have more time to get more skills. Yeah, so with all that, I just don't think... For me... It doesn't make sense to say that in this fantasy world where elves and dwarves live for hundreds of years, they're limited in what they can do. And it's not that elves should be able to be wizards because humans can be wizards. It's not that at all. It's that they should be able to be wizards because why not? They have more time to read. Yeah, so I don't know. That's just what I'm thinking as I'm walking around. Anyway, this is it. I'm almost home. Great episode. Always fun chatting with you. I will uh, talk to you soon. This probably stopped. Bye. Jason, this is Randy again from Biggest Geek because I had to call back. Good episode. I love the humanocentric approach. Are they versatile? Boy, I'm of two minds. I think they are, but just because dwarves and elves are different, like if you want to call them alien species, that's cool with that. I, I dig that. But are they, who says they wouldn't even be more um, able to gain levels faster? I mean, because they've seen it all and done it all, and maybe they process faster, so they get bored with things quicker. I don't think so. I like the idea of sometimes of that idea of elves not be gaining levels, but it seems so weird that an elven mage could live 400 years and still only be ninth level. That's pretty weird. But uh, Twitch is on. Good episode. So that was Joe Richter of Hindsightless and Wheeler Woe podcast. We also heard him at the top of the show. And Randy from Biggest Geekus. So, I, I, well, let me address Dog Soldiers really quick from Randy. Yeah, man, great movie. And definitely they went for some Aliens vibe in there. Um, 
but yeah, I, I still think Dog Soldiers is that director's best movie. Um, but but most of his movies are pretty fun. Like I say, you guys talked about The Descent. Um, I think that eh, I'm in the car driving, but the the the, the post apocalyptic movie he did. I, I think that's a lot of fun. So yeah, I mean he's again Hellboy's you know steaming pile. But aside from that, you know is a, Neil Marshall. That's the director's name. You know his movies are seem to be pretty good. As far as the yeah, I'm definitely coming from to address Joe and Randy. I'm coming from a human centric point of view. There's no question about it because I'm human, and I like the idea that humans learn faster than these other races, which again goes back to the fiction the games are based on, like Paul Anderson's The Broken Sword. But one thing I I kind of listen to both of you, I think is interesting way to go. I know that Adventure Conquer King system is looked down on at the moment because people don't like the creator. And that's fine. But one thing that system does really well is it differentiates the demi-humans or the, you know, the other species, the non-humans, because they have their own special classes. So instead of being, and, and again, I'm driving in the car, so I'm not looking at it in front of me, but, you know, instead of a, a dwarf being able to be a, a fighter or a cleric or a magic user or a thief, in Adventure Conquer King system, the dwarf has special dwarf classes they can be. Which, which would encompass kind of those same kind of things, but have some special abilities that, you know, only those classes get. And same thing with the elves, you know. And, you know, they might have a, a sword dancer or whatever, right? Um, and I think that's really cool because the idea is whatever... And you could even mix that up to some degree in your own game, but, you know, say the, uh, a sword dancer is an elf class, so that's something from elven society. You know, it's a profession in the elven society. So only elves are sword dancers. Now, maybe you have some special human that grew up with the elves that could take a sword dancer class, right? But normally it would only be a, an elf could be a sword dancer. And, and that further differentiates the, the different ancestries or species, whatever you want to call them, because that way you can have an elf fighter and a human fighter but they're going to be different because those fighting styles are different and the skills they learn are different, which makes sense, you know, because the societies are going to grow up or the societies are going to learn and, and develop differently as far as those skills. And the same thing with the, the clerics for the, you know, the dwarven deities compared to the elven deities. And, you, you know, it might make sense for, you know, a halfling cleric with the halfling deities and, and we're going off the idea of, hobbits at the Shire, you know, maybe they'll use a sling or a club or, you know, but they're not, they wouldn't necessarily, any, I know, halflings or hobbits use bows and arrows and stuff, but, you know, maybe your halflings, you know, and use blunt weapons where, you know, different, like the orc clerics might have no problem using edge weapons, right? So you can differentiate that by what species or ancestry comes through. So I, I, and I really like that idea instead of just having generic fighter, generic wizard, 
you, you have species specific classes. Now it takes a lot more work because you have to balance it all. And, and again, that's one thing that Adventure Conquer King system does really well um, because it has those species specific you, you know classes. So I think that's one way to do it because it would make sense that you would have different perfect you know those different species that develop differently than humans and societies are different than humans and everything you know they have different desires and wants that they would have different professions as well and different skills their warriors are going to look different and act different and fight different than a dwarf warrior is so anyway that's kind of my two cents on those but thank you so much for those calls i really appreciate them and with that let's go into games that i played Games that I played. I'm recording this in the car using a earbud and microphone that came with the iPhone, so hopefully the audio quality is okay. I haven't been able to play nearly as many games I'd like to because of internet issues and work and a number of other things, but I have got some games in. The first I'm going to mention is Carl Rodriguez's Broken Lands game, which is kind of labeled BX Broken Lands, but really it should be Beckme or Rules Cyclopedia, because we use Rules Cyclopedia in the works of Thar Gazetteer. But in that game, we're playing humanoid races, and we're based in this kingdom of goblins with goblin king and queen. And there's kind of political rivalry between the king and the queen, and we've been our war band's kind of been playing both sides, but the queen's a sorceress. So we've been trying to kiss up to her a little bit and get become allies with her. Well, our latest little mission is to go out and investigate on the edge of the kingdom this guardhouse that the dwarves have reoccupied. So we were supposed to go investigate it, find out what was happening. So we went out there and we found some tunnels underneath the guardhouse. We, we took out a couple patrols of dwarves but the guardhouse itself looked pretty tough, so we didn't really want to do an assault yet. So we kept looking around, and we found these tunnels underneath. So we started investigating the tunnels, and this is over, I'm recapping multiple sessions here. We found the tunnels, went through the tunnels. We found an interesting dwarven forge that had a elemental, a fire elemental bonded to the forge, and they were using to power the forge found some other things but this last session the interesting thing is we came across some cockatrices and we so we I forget who was in the front anyway the first character right there by the first player right by the cockatrice attacked it so we were in combat you know we were committed at that point so we're, we're fighting these cockatrices and my my character orc called Nurbag who has his magical hammer, you know, he, he whacks this cockatrice pretty good. It runs off. He throws his hammer after it, and I rolled a natural one, which there's no real fumbles in, you know, in Rule Cyclopedia, but, you know, the hammer clangs off, 
So Nervag goes to find his hammer, and when he finds it down the edge of this corridor or tunnel, the cockatrice is standing over it. So he pulls out this magic short sword that he has, and he you know goes to get his magic hammer back. Cockatrice ends up clawing him, but I made the saving throw versus paralyzation, so that was all good. And I managed to kill it. And then after we dispatched all the cockatrice, we found there were three viable cockatrice eggs, which is pretty cool. And we, we so we got, started talking, and you, you know, our mission was to investigate the guardhouse. We were going to use these tunnels to come up inside the guardhouse and take the doors out and figure we go back after, you know, clearing the guardhouse. That'd be big kudos for us. It'd be, you know, a lot of political points. But now that we're thinking about it, these three cockatrice eggs, if we can bring them back, you know, viable eggs to the queen, who's a sorceress, that might even be better. You, you know, we, you know, because we want to be allies with her. And, and so that might be a big feather in our cap, you know, deliver her these cockatrice eggs, right? So we cut open one of the cockatrice bodies and we shove the eggs in there to keep them warm. And we figure we're going to finish exploring this area of the tunnels before we head back. And this is near the end of the session. And the session ended in a cliffhanger where these undead dwarves popped up and started pointing at us and saying intruder. But they weren't like zombies. They were kind of like glowing green and their voices echoed. So I'm not really sure what, what they are. Like kind of like ghostly zombie dwarves. But we're going to find out next session. But Carl's games are always a lot of fun. Great group of players and that. Always enjoy it. I didn't get to run the Against Dark Master game due to internet issues. or Well, actually I got called into work I think that day. But it, I've had internet issues and work issues and all kinds of issues. But we're going to, we will pick that up here in a, in a week. Um, the other games, I got, to, I got to play two sessions with Che Webster of Pathfinder 2. I'm not sure if I discussed this yet or not, so I'm going to act like I didn't. I'm going to talk about both sessions. So it's a pretty good group. We've got a couple experienced players. Um, Barry over the Shadow of the Jam podcast is one of the players. And then we have a new player, too. A gentleman who's new to RPGs altogether. And, of course, I've talked before that I really enjoy Chase GM style. And Pathfinder 2 is a neat little game. It I say little game. I mean, the you know, rule book's pretty big. But I, I haven't read that. What we did, he got the Pathfinder 2 starter set. And he gave us the characters. And on the character sheets for the pre-gens, it pretty much gives you all the information you need. So I haven't really read the rules. Now, I've played Pathfinder 1 with Joe Richter of Hindsightless and Wheeler Woe. So I, I kind of knew Pathfinder 1. And I've read and listened to podcasts, so I have some idea of Pathfinder 2. Um, and to be honest, after playing in a couple sessions... Pathfinder 2 is fine. It, it plays a lot like Pathfinder 1 with a little bit... And mind you, these are pre-gens, so the characters may be a little simplified compared to characters you make for yourself. But for the most part, it plays about the same. The action economy is a little simpler here because you just have three actions, and then whatever you do takes either one, two, or three actions. So that's interesting. There, as far as the tax of opportunity, that's a feat. Not everybody gets it, but only certain. Only if you have that feat can you do a tax of opportunity. 
shields to use your shield you have to ready your shield i don't i, I didn't have it my character in pathfinder one didn't use a shield use a two-handed weapon so i'm not sure if that's how shields work for pathfinder one or not but i, I mean it definitely felt like pathfinder to me it, it, i guess it's a little bit simpler but i'm a two minds of that you know if i'm playing a game with feats and options and i kind of want all the options so i kind of think pathfinder one might be better but at the same time, you know, if all we have is Pathfinder 2, I wouldn't turn it down. And, and hope and we've got another game scheduled, and I look forward to, and hopefully we'll keep playing this if Che wants to. You know, I'd be happy to play Pathfinder 2 for however long he wants to run it. And, and by the same token, I'd love to get back into Joe's Pathfinder 1 game, because I really enjoyed that. One thing I wanted to mention, though, that I thought was interesting... Was, so, and I haven't looked at the pre-gen for the cleric, but Barry is playing a cleric. And I guess from what Che was saying, the cleric spells depend on the god that you pick, the deity that you pick. But I don't think they pre-picked a deity, so I'm not sure if he just had generic spells or what. But he had healing spells. He didn't have any turning ability for the undead, but he had healing spells. And if he ratcheted the healing spell up where he used three actions when he cast it, then in addition to healing all friendly, well, all living things in 30 feet, it also did damage to undead within 30 feet, which is kind of cool. It kind of reminds me, on a recent episode of the Grognard Files, you know, they were talking about what would happen if you cast resurrection on a vampire or cast resurrection on an undead creature, right? And I think that's a really interesting idea. And this idea of a healing spell doing damage to an undead creature you know, it's kind of the same thing where a resurrection spell should also kind of damage an undead creature, right? So, so I think that's kind of interesting, you know, mechanic. So, yeah, I, I like that. I, I enjoyed it. So, I, and I'm saying so a lot. I apologize to you for that. With the magic, there were a lot of cantrips. And again, I haven't looked at the sheets for the magic user, for the cleric. But they both had, apparently, a bunch of cantrips. It seemed like the, the magic user spells, I don't know if he had an unlimited amount of them or just this, the ray of frost or ray of cold or cone of cold, whatever it was. It used one action to cast it. I don't know if just that was a cantrip and that was unlimited. And his light spell, he could cast basically continual light, like on the end of his staff. And that seemed to be a cantrip, an unlimited spell. So they and detect magic was an unlimited spell, a cantrip you could cast over and over. So there were some cantrips in there that are, you know, you cast all the time as much as you want. And, and I guess that's like five E again. I'm not real smart on five E, but that seems really powerful to me. So magic is pretty powerful and pretty abundant in the, in the Pathfinder 2 world. Which is fine, I mean, if that's the, the world they're going for. But, like I said, I, I had a lot of fun playing it, and this is probably a little disjointed because I'm tired, so I'll probably re-record this. But those are the games I've been playing recently. My buddy, Barry over at Shadow Jam Podcast, gave me a hard time for not doing very many unboxings lately. So I've got an unpackaging for you. There's an envelope from eBay. 
purchase. So I kind of know what it is, but if I can get my eyes to work this morning, it is these inches or centimeters. It's six and a half think inches. It's a white envelope. It says eBay on it. Six and a half by eight and a half, it looks like, envelope. Maybe a quarter inch, maybe not even that thick. So let's see what's in here. Let's see if I'm right. It could be a number of things. I don't just order RPG stuff, although I mainly order RPG stuff. So I open the envelope, the outside envelope, and inside there's a another bag. It says, again, eBay packaging. Whoever this is, obviously, is... I didn't know eBay like gave you their customized packaging for all their stuff. And, you, you know, I've got a broken or fractured, I guess fractured is the right word, fractured humerus. Um, the ball joint at the top of the humerus, basically a fractured shoulder from a fall, New Year's. I don't totally blame Joe Richter for that, but I partially do. Anyway, so I'm going to get out my handy dandy Swiss Army Tinker Swiss Army knife here to help me open this, because I can't really rip, because my one arm is just still kind of goobered up. So let's see what we can get if I cannot cut myself. You ever cut yourself with your knife? If you have a, a story about cutting yourself with a knife, feel free to call in. Um, I'm not saying I have a story to share, but the more stories I have from listeners, the more likely I am to share a story if I have one. Not saying I have one. Okay, so I've got the package open. I've got a book here. It is The Complete Works of Zorin Star, Book 1, by Steve Sheriff and Keller Autumn. This is not a new book. Oh, and illustrations are by Violetta Autumn. The back cover says, A revolutionary new supplement for expert players and game masters. If you're tired of spending hours tallying experience points or are fed up with spellcasting systems that make no sense, try Zorin's new system. Designed for expert players and game masters. This supplement contains 39 spells, as well as formulas and tables that clearly explain everything. The complete works of Zorin Greystar, the fantasy gaming book like no other. And this book is 60-some pages long. Oh, no, I'm sorry, I lied to you. It's 121, 2, 3, 4, 124 pages long. So this isn't a new book. This was published in 1984 out of um California and yep so table contents we have introduction of forward chapter one's the multiverse chapter two's magic chapter three is experience chapter four is combat and chapter five is spells I have not of course read this yet so I will have to give a review after I read it but it looks pretty interesting this is recommended by Thaddeus you may have heard him recently with Greg Gillespie on his YouTube show, and he's on regularly posts on the Audio Dungeon Discord. Well, Thaddeus recommended this. He mentioned it. I, I shouldn't say he recommended it. He mentioned it during the discussion on the Audio Dungeon Discord. And effectively, what this is, is an alternate spellcasting system for Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. So, I will check this out, and I will get back to you. It's a nice... Um, it, it's basically what we would call digest size these days, Right? So it's not like full-size books. It's, again, I'm trying to look at these little numbers on the tape measure. But the book is, what, four and a half by, I'm reading it backwards to you. It's seven and a half by four and a half. 
And like I say, it's 124 pages. So I, I will get back to it. It's black and white illustrations inside. The cover is black, red, and white. So three-color cover. And um, yeah, so this is an old book, Blast from the Past. I don't know how many people have heard of Zoran Star. This is published. Is there even a publisher? So this looks like by Autumn Press. And of course, Autumn is one of the the name of one of the authors and illustrator. So this looks like kind of like a, a small press, self-published kind of thing, kind of like the um, Dave Hargrave's Arduin was back in the day. So I'm looking forward to looking through this. I'm a big fan of Arduin, as you know, it, mainly because we get to see how local groups played D&D back in the day. We get to see these local variations. So I'll report back on this, but Barry, I hope that helps you a little bit with unboxing. I've got I don't know, maybe a dozen other things I can unbox, but I'm only going to do one this episode. So, with that, I'm going to conclude the episode, folks. I apologize, I was a little disjointed in some of the episodes I recorded in the car, but I want to get this one out there. And I know I promised talking about period movies, where modern movies made set in the 70s, and I will get to that maybe next episode. We'll probably talk about the nice guys first. I really need to rewatch um, Inherent Vice again, and I'd like to read the book actually before I talk about that too much. That's supposed to be one the more accessible of his books, so I will probably not do Inherent Vice anytime real soon because I want to read the book. But I will talk about the nice guys next episode. But if you have any comments about any of the caller, anything the callers have said, anything I've said, anything nobody said, but you just feel like hearing your voice on the radio, then you can leave me a message on Anchor. You can send an email to nerdsrpgvarietycast at gmail.com. You can attach an audio file to that email, and I'll play it on the air. You can find me on Discord, on Variety Discords, primarily the Audio Dungeon Discord. And, you know, send me something in, and I'll put it on the air and make, make you famous. So with that, I'm going to say thank you to my callers, Joe Richter, and Randy over at Biggest Geekus. I'm going to thank you, the listener. And I'm also going to send a special thank out to Ray Otis. Ray Otis provides the art for the podcast. And TJ Drennan, who he's kind of closed down his Patreon, but TJ Drennan has provided all the music you've heard today on today's podcast. Both Ray and TJ are super talented folks, and I'm very happy to be able to show their work you know, in my podcast. So take care, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Joking by your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I fail to shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. There is a dustman in your moilers by the tipper And I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper Don't look away
dying and we're dying for the train wreck.